Welcome to the Sermon Podcast from Beaver Parish Church. Do you ever find yourself unintentionally without knowing why it happens? Well, you probably do know why it happens. Just becoming angry. Do you ever watch the news or things are happening out there or in work or other places and you just, you just feel it rising within you? Well, I wanted to just home in tonight a wee bit on that subject of anger and of what it feels like for us to be angry in these days. And I wanted to tell you of a friend of mine first who got angry one day, but he had plenty of reason to get angry, but it was all his own fault, so no sympathy at all for him, because he's a bit of an idiot, is the truth of it. And uh, he was driving down, he was part of our wee church up in Money Ray when we were up there. And he was driving down the Ballygown Road, and he was parked at the, he was stopped in the outside lane of the traffic lights, just at Domino's there, you know, at the top of the Castlereagh Road. Uh, and he, now this is a few years ago. I'm sure he wouldn't do this now, but um, he was actually sitting on his phone, you know, looking for things, and then making a phone call. And uh, as he was making this phone call, he was looking at his phone and checking his phone call. He just became aware of a presence to his right, outside his window of his car. And when he looked to his right, sure enough, there was a yellow and white striped car sitting right beside him and somebody doing this to him. So he buzzed his window down and the police officer uh, said to him, sir, it was hard not to notice that you were on your phone, right? And he said, "Uh, yes, sorry, sorry, I was on my phone. Um, And he was looking a bit awkward with all of this. And the police officer said to him, sir, um, you were on your phone, but why are you so awkward? And he said, well, he said, you're probably going to find out eventually. And I'll have to admit to you, I've got a fish supper on my knee, right? He was was also eating fish and chips uh, (laughs) while he was driving and using this phone. Now, he was sitting at the traffic lights. And the police officer said to him, sir, there's nothing I can do. We're going to have to book you. Uh, would there be any chance of um, showing us your insurance? And he said, you're never going to believe this, <laughs> right? But you can check my phone. I was on the phone to the insurance company to renew my insurance just when you so- spotted me there. And he said, no problem at all. Well, sure, let's just check your DVA tax. And he said, well, <laughs> I couldn't get that renewed till I got my insurance renewed, <laughs> or, whatever, or whichever way around that is. Uh, and he got done for everything all in one moment, and he was hopping mad, but mostly with himself for having done something, a whole series of things that just weren't good. Well, I want to read to you tonight probably, possibly the most awkward passage of Scripture in the Bible. Awkward in the sense that it's It's full of anger and rage and stuff that is not really worthy of the people of God. And it's so so difficult and filled with such horrible thoughts that the Church of England in 1980, when they brought out one of their most recent, um, it was called the ASB, the Alternative Service Book, they actually had a... um, uh, a rubric in there that allowed this passage of Scripture never to be read in a public service uh, because it's so outrageous. So you're probably thinking, what on earth is in this? And why do we want to read it tonight? Well, it fits into the the themes that we've been following uh, 
in all sorts of ways over the last number of weeks about Nehemiah and about the rebuilding of Jerusalem and that whole context that the children of Israel found themselves in in those days. Now, it lasted you know, a couple of hundred years. This is a long period of time in their history that this thing was all unfolding with them. And if you remember back to any of the stuff we've been talking about, there was that first invasion by the Assyrians into the top half of Israel. Now, they stopped halfway down. Assyria is the, the nation right above Israel. And they stopped about halfway down, but the bottom half, including Jerusalem, was left untouched. It was a sort of slightly, it was a different region, really, a different part of the kingdom. But although Assyria had invaded the top half, um, there had always been fears that if you went through Assyria, the next big thing uh, was an empire called Babylon. And Babylon was always aggressive and always looking to extend its empire. So the fears in Jerusalem and in Assyria was that eventually Babylon would want to stretch. And Babylon, of course, did exactly that. And they tramped down through Assyria, but they didn't stop at as far as the Assyrians went, but they went on down into Jerusalem and, uh, and spread out in all directions, to be honest. And when the Babylonians came, Contrary to the Assyrians, they did something that the Assyrians hadn't done. And uh, it's, it's called in the books a deportation. And what that really means is that they, they went round the countryside and the cities and the towns, and they took all the people who could be of any value in the empire that they were trying to run. So if they had come to the group of people on the stage, they would probably have taken everybody but John and me. Right? Okay. Uh, but they would take anybody of any skill or of any value or of any energy or of any enthusiasm, and they were deported off into the Babylonian Empire, which stretched all over the place. And to make sure that there would never be any rebellion or any, any reaction from what was left, they destroyed everything, they wrecked everything including Jerusalem and the temple. And they would have destroyed the people that were left. Yeah, they would have done awful things to the people that were left to make sure that they would never be in any fit state to launch any kind of reprisals back against the Babylonian Empire. And they made sure that there would never be any future reprisals or fight back because they slaughtered the children. Yeah. Now, it's in the light of that experience that we come to Psalm 137. And some of the people who have been deported, uh, these are their thoughts captured by whoever was writing this psalm and recording it for us. And it reads like this. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. And Zion was homeland, yeah? There on the poplars, we hung our harps for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? And then they go on to reflect on their experience. And they say, if I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill 
May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. And those are strange verses, but I think what they're trying to say is, um, Jerusalem, my, my heart is still with you and with my homeland and with who we are and what we believe in. And my right hand represents my skill and my ability. Um, my tongue speaks of, of me carrying the worship of God and of the message. And it, it's kind of, Lord, help me never to lose these because one day I hope to return and rebuild something make something come alive again. So let me never lose these things. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Now, what are Edomites doing in the middle of all of this? Um, Edom was a, a kind of region um, Outside of Jerusalem, part of, part of the bottom half of Israel, part of this, this region that was being invaded by, by the Babylonians. But they were generally thought of to be a friendly tribe and local nation to Jerusalem. They would have been supporters. There would have been trade and free flow of people and all sorts of things. But now whether or not the Edomites decided when the Babylonians came that they might be better to be on the Babylonian side rather than still being supportive of Jerusalem. But their cry that these Israelites, remember, was that the Edomites, the people we thought were our friends, cried out that day, tear it down. Tear it down to its foundations. Now, can you imagine being a lone figure in Jerusalem, standing against a huge empire, and the people you thought were your friends turn against you? Then they go on, and this is the outrageous bit. They now start to speak, and this captures the emotion of these people as they thought of what had been done to them and their nation and their families. And they say, daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. And the next verse tells us what, they, what had been done to them. And they're wishing it and praying it back on the Babylonians. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. And what's being reflected there is their memories of seeing their children possibly being thrown off the walls of Jerusalem to be dashed on the rocks. Their anger, their outrage is so great that they would even call on God to do the same back to them. Now, it's to the credit of the people who wrote this, and it's to the credit of the people who preserved it and included it in the hymn book of the Old Testament, that they're not in any way endorsing the prayer or the longing of those people who wanted to see that huge violence inflicted on their enemies, but that they were prepared to put it in there and include it because they recognized that sometimes Sometimes anger and outrage will fill our lives. 
And that anger and that outrage can be caused by something that is done to us, or it can be caused by something that we're fearful of, or it can be caused by frustration growing within us about the situations around us. Now, I hope we never get to the point where we would ever want that level of violence to be done to anybody. But this psalm does send permission down through the centuries to us to let us know that sometimes we really do feel this outrage and this anger. And at the minute we're living in a society that is growing in its anger and its outrage and its frustration and its pointing its finger at one another and at all sorts of things around us. And maybe we feel some of that as well. That, as Chris rightly pointed out, it's a dark wee night out there. And we can feel some of this outrage at the things around us. At why was that not done? Why is this not sorted out? And and it may not be COVID-related. Let's allow for the fact that out there, and of course it could be, that out there, and maybe even sitting in this room, there are people whose jobs are on the line. There are people who are wondering where they're going to feed their family over this winter. Around us living in these streets and in these roads and these cars going up and down are people who are frightened about illness and about their loved ones and about their mums and dads and their grandparents. And the anxiety grows at times. And these verses tell us that maybe it's okay to feel that level of anger and that level of frustration. except that we have to do something with it. And there is absolutely no way that we want to pray violence and devastation onto anyone else. Because when we read uh, everything in the Bible, when we read all of these reactions, and these are incredibly um, human reactions happening here, because some absolutely dreadful things were done to these people, that it's a very real reaction, and one that we shouldn't think bad of these people because of that. But it's what do you do with it? Because when you read everything through the Bible, somehow or other, you have to, you have to see the image of Christ somewhere in the background. And as we try to figure out what to do with our anger, we have to see the person of Jesus Christ who was the one I was referring to standing in Jerusalem against a great big empire and all his friends turning against him. And yet his anger and his frustration comes out in an incredibly different way. In Romans chapter 12, we read the words of someone called St. Paul, who would have um, known all of those scriptures and all of those Psalms, I'm sure, off by heart and who was also one who was facing um, another great big empire and was writing a letter into the very heart of that empire, into Rome itself. And listen to some of his words as he speaks of that same 
level of emotion growing with inside the heart of the human soul. And he says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That doesn't sound particularly good, that picture doesn't. <laughs> Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. With the frustrations and the irritations and everything that are all around us and that are affecting us, um, I think that Psalm 137 gives us permission to at least feel it, right? And to not condemn ourselves because we feel it. It also gives us permission to express it because they expressed it and they said it. And have you ever thought that, and I don't mean expressing it in the aisles of Tesco uh, or expressing it through the car window at somebody or whatever, but have you ever thought of finding somewhere quiet in a darkness of a night like that and shouting it to God? Telling him about it. Why keep it in? Why not get it out and shout it? The prayer book, and Tom, I have to say, this seems to be yours, it says. It says Tom Keatley inside the... So if you want to take it home, Right. Uh, we do have another one somewhere. Right. I'm sure we could find another one uh, if we had to. There's a thing in here called the litany. Uh, and some of you will know what the litany is. The litany is a series of prayers. And over the years, uh, you will have used it or not used it. And uh, in the cathedral choir, we used to sing it. And uh, it's full, filled with uh, incredible prayers. And my mother used to tell me that if you prayed the whole litany, you've prayed for everything, that that was the point of it. Everything has been covered. So there are prayers like strengthen the faithful, comfort and help the faint-hearted, raise up those who fall and drive out all evil. And the congregation replies, hear us, good Lord. Support and encourage all who are in poverty, unemployment, or distress. Protect those whose work is dangerous and keep in safety all who travel. Hear us, good Lord. Heal the sick. Care for the old and lonely and comfort the bereaved. Hear us, good Lord. 
show your pity on victims of strife, on the homeless and the hungry, on prisoners, and on all who live in fear. Hear us, good Lord. And you know, as you read those prayers, every one of them is worth getting angry about. Show your pity on victims of strife, on the homeless and the hungry, on prisoners and all who live in fear. The congregation should shout back, Ah! Love somebody to write prayers that we shout and scream back at, at the awful things that are done to people in our world. That the church would rightly get angry about some things. And in its prayers, would get worked up and would express its frustration and its irritation at the injustices and the things that are done all around us. But then, wanting to be Christ-like, finding ways to react. But I think it is not wrong for us to put into our prayer and to talk to our Heavenly Father and tell Him that we're angry about things and we feel let down about things and we've been hurt by things and we want to express it. And then we have to ask Him, would He fill us with the Spirit of Jesus Christ? Who returned violence with love? who returned bitterness with forgiveness, who returned beatings and everything else with grace and with mercy. And you know, in this wee world at the minute, where it, it feels like it's just simmering with anger and irritation and annoyance all around us, and we feel it as well, what a great time for there to be a movement of people who respond to that anger with something different, who respond with grace and with kindness and generosity and love. And I come up with, a, uh, I think, with a, a new movement of change that is probably going to go no further than this lectern, <laughs> okay? I don't suspect it'll be a popular one. But you know the way lots of people out there are having, because they're having to furlough or whatever is happening and they're only getting a certain amount of their pay to live on. But yet, as somebody very eloquently put the other day, the electricity hasn't got cheaper and the mortgage hasn't got cheaper and the petrol hasn't got cheaper and the food bill hasn't got cheaper. I just don't have enough money to pay it anymore. I kind of thought, what about starting... And this is just a, a daft suggestion. I don't believe for a moment that we'll start it. Uh, but you might want to do it yourself. What about if you could live without 25% of your income? Why don't we give it to somebody else? Respond to the anger and irritation that someone else is feeling because their job is being slashed in pieces. That we give them a bit of ours. I can't help but see that God's reaction, God's reaction to all of this bitterness and cruelty and violence and everything that was in the world and that uh, the Israelites had put up with for many centuries, his reaction to all of that was his vengeance on all of that was to walk into the middle of it and allow them to kill him and to set them free.
no longer needing to live hatred and the anger of it all. And in the midst of our world, it's the same gospel, the Jesus Christ who takes it all on the cross and sets us free to be something entirely different in our world. Thank you for listening. To hear previous weeks and for more information, go to beaverparish.co.uk forward slash sermons.